The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey there, film buffs. Welcome to part two of the great pop culture debates episode devoted to the best, best picture Oscar winners. I'm your host, Eric Resniak, and I'm joined by my panel of judges who are more reliable than the accountants from PricewaterhouseCooper. Please say hello again to Carissa Kloss, Kevin Dillon, and Mike Rappin. I hope you already listened to part one of this episode in which we narrowed down the top 32 to the Sweet 16. If you haven't seen the original, the sequel is going to make zero sense. So go back <laughs> to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to quality podcast and get yourself caught up while you're at it make sure you've gone to greatpopculturedebate.com and found the bracket for this week's episode under polls and more that way you can make a copy fill it in yourself and follow along at home we promise it will be shorter and less boring than literally any oscar telecast in the 21st century honest so before we jump into round two uh it was pointed out to me that uh your dumb dumb host missed one of the round one matchups one flew over the cuckoo's nest versus Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, three quarters of us preferred uh, two seed cuckoo, while I was the only one who championed seven seed Lawrence of Arabia. I'm completely fine with cuckoo moving forward. It's a great film. I will just say this about Lawrence again. My my criteria being uh, the craft, the uh, uh, ambition, and it's saying something about the human condition. I do feel like Lawrence ticks off all three of those boxes. There's a lot of problematic stuff in in that film. There's no question. I mean, you literally have um white people playing saudi arabian kings right. uh again where's gandhi on this list i mean <laughs> exactly uh, i i will say this though it is a gorgeous film like it is mind-blowing that they filmed this right like it is incredible and it made me be like wow i kind of want to go to the desert i do not want to go to the desert <laughs> made me want to go to the desert and i thought that peter o'toole was fantastic in the beginning of it i was like i can't fucking stand this kid but holy shit his arc in that movie is amazing and he acts the hell out of it um the supporting cast omar sharif is great in that movie i do think it was actually making some really bold political statements for its time i noticed there's not a single woman whose face is visible in that movie at any time i do not believe that is a coincidence i'm sure there are film classes about this but that has to be a political statement on the behalf of the make of the makers of the film it is also not at all pro-colonialism which again for a film that was made in britain in the early half of the well i think it was just 1960 is that correct kevin it was 1962. It was the same year. It was the same year as uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, yeah. And honestly, I, you're not wrong about this movie. Like David Lean movies are so. He is a director who has a, an aesthetic. Like, you know, you're watching a David Lean movie and like that was it. And it, it is very impeccably made. 
It's impeccably made. And I do think it was very bold for a film in 1962. So it was filmed 1960-61 to be that bold in white people are fucked up and white people destroy the world because that's exactly what Lawrence of Arabia says. Like we went in, like we watching it now, I'm like, we would not have the issues we are having in the Middle East if this shit had not happened when it did. Like flat out. They even say at one point, if you give the guns to them, you're never going to get them back. Hello. That's exactly what happened. So um, there's a lot of things that I really like about it. It is super problematic. All of that said, I totally get why we advanced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And we will be discussing it in a second because it has moved on to round two. To that point, here are the matchups for round two. We're starting off with Casablanca versus The Departed. And uh, Carissa, I want you to talk about The Departed first. Yeah, so I actually watched this movie again last night. So it's the freshest one um, in my mind. And it's a movie that I enjoy more and more each time I see it. I find more in it that's enjoyable. Um, This time I found it kind of uh, really funny, like really amusing, very darkly comedic. Like mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson is just incredible. You know, he you can tell that he's just like freestyling and owning these scenes. Um, and it's so great to see him in a Scorsese movie. Like, and I don't think this is Scorsese's best movie, but it's so tight. Like seeing DiCaprio kind of versus Damon, like kind of playing each other's counterparts and the way that the film is cut back and forth it's it's just so tight it kind of reminded me of heat which is one of my favorite heist films um because you get both sides and you see kind of the humanity and struggle of all of those characters and how they're all like just scumbags plus speaking of boston this was my boston this was the boston i moved into so i moved to boston in 2003 this film came out in 2006. Um, so it's set in kind of like the time ish when I was there. And it just, so there's kind of a nostalgic feeling around that um, from that time. And also from me not living in Boston anymore. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, so I'll talk on Casablanca a little bit. What I like about Casablanca is that it's kind of lightning in a bottle. Um, my, my film student friends here can probably correct me if I'm wrong about this, because this is a story that I heard about in a college class in like the 90s. But my understanding of Casablanca is they were literally writing that script the night before they gave it to the actors. Like they were building this ship as they were flying it. And the fact that it came out and it is so incredible like yeah the acting is we talked a little bit about this earlier but i find the script for casablanca to be really strong it's funny you were talking about how the departed is you get new nuances of it every time you watch it for Mm -hmm. me the same thing is true for casablanca i find it very funny i think the supporting characters in that movie are really hilarious and it is that love story that's got that noir kind of the swelling violins and the tragic and can never be together. And there's something about it that's very much of its time, but also still very timeless. And for that reason, I had it advancing. I also am just not a fan of mob films, but um, I'm going to turn it to the rest of the folks. Mike, where are you coming down on this one? I mean, I I picked it apart. I had Casablanca, you know, going forward over Annie Hall, but Departed has to go forward. I I love this movie to death. Um, And Carissa totally nails it. All right. It's so good. It's so good. I'm super torn. I'm super torn. I'm not going to lie because I, I love that you pointed out the editing Carissa uh, with the departed because um, I want to give a shout out. Martin Scorsese doesn't get a lot of credit for the way he crafts women in his films, but his editor throughout his whole career 
her name is Thelma Schoonmaker. She is probably the best editor in the business. Like, I know people think of editing and they think of length. That's not what editing is. It, <laughs> it, is, it is about how you cut a film and what the film ends up being. And she cuts a great film. Like, imagine having to work with Jack Nicholson going full, like, legit Tim Burton Joker in a straightforward <laughs> film. Like, <laughs> right? And having to edit together his scenes. Like, that's incredible. She's She's great. I I'm torn on this because can I can I say something else about yeah, how great it. the Departed? Yes. So there are no small roles in the Departed. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Wahlberg is a fucking scene stealer all the way through. Like Very every much. time he shows up, he's just like leaning against some desk, going "fuck you," you know, and you just <laughs> like 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 he steals every single scene that he's in. Vera Farmiga is um, the romantic interest and she's incredible i love her i love her so much and like alec baldwin um is so great and um martin sheen as like the the captain with the more you know him and mark Wahlberg are such a great uh combo so i i think that all of the roles are really rich there even if the screen time is not there uh and the editing is super tight to keep it really even between the storylines Yeah, I think, okay, so the other thing I will say is the one scene where they're at the funeral at the end and Matt Damon goes to approach Vera Farmiga and Vera Farmiga just like walks past him um, Mm -hmm. is is a pointed homage to um, the third man um, Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. Orson Welles and Scorsese has talked about that. I think, all right, I know Eric has praised me for me sticking to my guns. (laughs) I, no, but I love it. Come, come I, to the dark side. I think I'm going <laughs> to go departed on this one. And the reason I think I'm going to go departed is because it is a move. I, number one, I'm, I'm just glad that Scorsese has an Oscar. That man, Same. that Same. man is a genius and I want his film to move forward. So I'm going to go the departed. I, I am not. A, we could argue that the Academy had the same you know, thought like, I don't think it's his best film, but Correct. he, he needs an Oscar and he's definitely earned one with his body of work. And Kevin, let me clarify. I appreciate when you stick to your guns, but I also appreciate when people admit that a well-reasoned argument is enough to sway them. And yep. Carissa did an excellent job. She did job a great job. She did Thank a great you. job. Good job. All right. Next up we have West Side Story versus The Godfather. Uh, I'll talk about West Side Story here. And Kevin did a great job kind of laying out its strengths in, in the round one. I will add that, yes, it is based off of Romeo and Juliet, but West Side Story takes what is really a story about two families, et cetera, and it elevates it to a story about America and the American experience. And Kevin mentioned the opening shot, the crane over New York. West Side Story is a story about literally New York, right? It is about these immigrants coming in and it's not just two families anymore. It's a battle of two entire cultures mm-hmm. who are both trying to occupy the same space at the same time. And um, it's fucking intense in a way that Romeo and Juliet, knock it, not knocking Shakespeare, but um, it's less personal and much more cultural. So I think from that perspective, it's great. It is a great musical. I will agree that there are parts where it really sags, um, but I think it's a strong film. I personally don't think it is the strongest musical that's on this list that's even in round two, but I think it's solid. I'm going to throw it to Kevin for his thoughts on Godfather. 
Okay. So I'm very torn. I will say this. A lot of these second round battles are, are genuinely tough. I think The Godfather, like a lot of other films, is also one of those quotable films. And I always think of You've Got Mail when Tom Hanks <laughs> is consistently quoting The Godfather. Um, take the gun, leave the cannoli. Like, I just, there's so many lines. That's from- good, fellas. That's good, fellas. Mm-hmm. Thought it was Godfather fun. is you. You drop the gun. You let the gun drop slide the gun, out of your. Cannoli. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. Yep. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Just, no, you're right. Just, I'm glad you me. I'm a crime film like, purist. No, that's that's mm-hmm. good. That's good. I and then there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yes. Um, that's Godfather. Yes, and then um, I mean the cast. Is, we've talked a lot about performances and. We haven't, I don't, I don't think we've drilled down enough on the across the board for fantastic performances in The Godfather. Al Pacino, right. Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, uh, James Caan, um, Diane Keaton. It is an incredible ensemble. Like it is every performance builds to this like, in a way, a crumbling house of cards, but yet also the precision of what happens in this story. It's each person is so good. For me, it's Al Pacino's Oscar, like his lead Oscar, because he is the lead of that movie. Like he is incredible in that film. Like there's no denying it. It is, it is just, it is such a really, really well-made film. And Coppola, he he can be a messy director. He absolutely can be. In fact, I actually prefer some of his messier movies. Um, I'm a big Peggy Sue Got Married fan, which is Coppola, which is weird. Um, But he is such an incredible director and he brings a, a gravitas and craft to this like very, very, very personal story. And and he brings Puzo's li- novel to life in a way that, again, I think Carissa talked a little bit about this with Cormac McCarthy. And it's very hard sometimes to translate a, a script very strongly. And he does a great job. All right. So let me go to the, the votes then. Mike, where are you coming down on this one? Um, I, I think I think I, I have to go with The Godfather. I, I think I've got to. Because at this point, I had Rocky moving forward. So I'm going with The Godfather. It's the closest relative, yeah. Yeah. And Carissa, where are you? I'm I'm with the Godfather. Yeah. So um I'm gonna save my argument for why I don't like the Godfather movies to round three. I'm super excited to get booed. (laughs) 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 Moving forward, we have Silence of the Lambs entering the competition versus American Beauty. And I'm pretty confident this is gonna be a knockout. So does before we even get into it, is anybody going to vote for American Beauty here? Carissa? No, I'm yeah. No. I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm good with Silence of the Lambs. I think it's the it's the better film by a long shot. Mm-hmm. All right. So why don't we save the discussion of Silence of the Lambs to round three so it's fresh and uh, as powerful as possible. Uh, next up, we have Chicago versus One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mike, I want you to talk about Cuckoo's Nest because I didn't lie you to in round one. <laughs> and then, uh, Kevin, I'm going to have you talk about Chicago. Mike, go first. 
Yeah, so One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest is is a, a movie that I think really like drives into your brain. Um, it, it, it asks you to question your own sanity, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I always I always conflate this with The Shining because I feel like they're movies that came out like back to back. I don't know if that's true. I think I just saw them back to back when I was younger. But I've seen One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest far more than I've seen The Shining. And I think like... They're the Jack Nicholson, stupendous actor. He is he, disgusting in this film. Um, but I think the movie excels not in Nicholson's performance, but in all of the side characters performance. I mean, Danny DeVito is fantastic. I blanking on his name. He was in Back to the Future um, as Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd uh, is is wonderful in this movie. I mean, we have one of the most loathsome characters next to the the Trunchbull from uh, Matilda uh, in the nurse, Nurse Ratchet. I mean, like every person in this movie that is not Jack Nicholson stands out um, and created like I think this film created like a a set of things that people will be referencing for still years to come because they are still referencing them to this day. You know, um, the the large Native American man who throws the giant uh, uh water fountain you know out the window i mean this movie has so many moments that just are are perfect but i don't think that on the whole like the film is perfect because i mean it is like a growth and it's depressing of, of jack nicholson's character but um yeah i mean against chicago i like this movie more just because of the like psychological elements of it um and this the kind of again this is like american beauty like the grossness that you feel watching this um chicago is a fantastic musical but uh, i definitely prefer one flew over the cuckoo's nest like if you gave me a choice to sit down and watch i'd watch that one over the other interesting kevin chicago please yeah, so I'll start with a little bit of con on Cuckoo's Nest. I've read the book and I've seen the movie, and I personally prefer the book of Cuckoo's Nest because you actually, the narrator of the book is actually Chief Bromden, and mm-hmm. you actually get the lens of the Native American perspective of a person, and like the Jack Nicholson character is 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 talked about, and I feel like in the movie you lose that. And you don't get enough of the inner monologue of Chief Bromden, which I think is a problem. And that that narration is really important in the book. Definitely. Um, and so that's my that's why I don't have it advancing, because I think it is a good movie and I think it's a good winner. Um, although I wouldn't have picked it that year. Um, it's a great year. Um, for me, Chicago is the better film. I It's one of the few films where I've actually stood up in the theater and clapped at a moment. Um when they sing cell block tango, I literally got up out of my seat as did most of the theater and clapped. And I've, I've never seen that. I think that was, it made me feel so good and so happy that that exists for me in my movie going experience. And I think it does for a lot of people, whenever I hear people talk about Chicago, there's so much joy and fun about these terrible people. They're terrible people. (laughs) They're not, they're, they're, it's one of the few movies that actually does a good job of telling the female anti-hero story. Um, Because like, it's just so messy and they're so really incredible. Like Renee Zellweger, I really genuinely am not a big fan of her, but she's incredible as Roxy. Agreed. And, And the same thing, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Velma Kelly, my Lord, that woman, she probably might be a a very difficult woman to work with. There's a good possibility of that. But boy, (laughs) does she dance her face off and sing incredibly. And she's so, so good. John C. Riley's Mr. Cellophane, incredible. Queen Latifah, I wish she 
went a little full les, but it's still so good. And then, I mean, if you're going to replace a role that's played by a drag queen, it has to be Christine Baranski. <laughs> like my, her Mary Sunshine is just so good. And sh- I don't know if any of you, Chicago as a Broadway show is not a great show. It's just not. True. It's very boring. And to take a show that's incredibly boring and to make it one of the most captivating movie musicals of all time, it's easily in my top five. It's so, so good. And it is honestly, for me, easily one of the best, best picture winners. It, it, it's, it's hard to beat. I wouldn't have picked it per se that year, but it's an incredible winner. I want to go to Carissa. Where are you coming down on this one? I agree with everything that Kevin said. Well, I don't, I don't know the musical. So like I have much less background um, to agree with, but yeah, I agree with his whole argument. I always going to come down on the side of women um, in this case. And also I saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest like this past week for the first time, which Mm -hmm. I don't know how I somehow it always escaped me. Uh, And I was kind of like, meh. So I don't know. So yeah, I'm, I'm with Kevin on Chicago here. Okay, and I I will also move forward with Chicago. So Mike, I'm sorry if that knocks out. To- you know, totally fine. I I totally respect it because Chicago is a fantastic film. Like it, it makes is. sense. It makes sense it- to move forward. And the next round's going to be brutal because it's up against Science of the Lands. <laughs> I will reserve my praise of Chicago until that. But uh, next up, we have our most recent Oscar winner, Parasite, versus All About Eve, one of our oldest ones on the list. And Carissa, I want you to talk about Parasite first. Yeah. So when I saw Parasite, uh, I saw it at my local like Lowe's, like the big theater, and there are a whole lot of people there, which like I go to the movies usually earlier in the day and we're usually seeing stuff that's not super popular. And I was really surprised. Like this theater is almost sold out at 11 a.m. on a Saturday for a foreign film. Like I don't get this, Um, but I got it because everybody was talking about it. And it was it was interesting for me at the time because I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I was kind of like, Oh, well, everybody's just like, Oh, foreign films can be funny. This is so cool. Like, yeah, like foreign films are fucking funny. Like they're everything that uh, domestic films are except with subtitles, you know? So I was really uh, annoyed by that argument being kind of posited. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I let go of that and actually thought about, you know, the film, which I have since seen a couple more times, like, tell me what this movie isn't because it is a suspense movie. It is a thriller. There's like this weird romantic thing. It is a, uh, like a brutal critique on classism. Uh, it is the first foreign film to ever win the American Oscar for best picture. Like Mm -hmm. I don't like this movie gives me everything I wanted and, uh, it holds up. We can't judge it over time, but on multiple rewatches, um, I find so much more here and it's just like the darkness of that comedy uh, becomes much more funny uh, the more you watch the movie. So I like it. I have it moving forward because it's so original in so many ways. Interesting. So Mike, go with All About Eve for me, please. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I have Parasite moving forward as well, but I watched All About Eve this past week and it's it blew my mind how well crafted the movie was from beginning to end how witty every single line in the movie was i have never seen a movie that 
made me laugh and smirk and go back and rewatch a scene because of how just well shot it was and how well put together it was with like the back and forth with the characters. I mean, I, I almost fell out of my chair when I saw Marilyn Monroe come on screen because I've never seen her in a film before because I've never seen any of the films that she was in. Um, but I was like, who who is that woman? And I like Google it. I, it blew my mind. And she is just this whimsical blonde in the, in the film. Uh, I loved it. I, I, I mean, the, the, the story of the, the downfall of this Broadway actress, because this young upstart comes in and the, 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 I'm spoiling this movie guys. So I'm um, just a warning for a movie <laughs> that's been, you know, 70 years, years old. old. So I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a 1950 um, movie. I think you're good. Well, the thing is like, I'm so glad I'd never heard anything about this movie except for one line where, uh, I'm forgetting all the actors' names and all the actresses' name, but she says it's going to be a bumpy night, and I've heard that before. Um, and it's it's so it's gonna fucking be a fantastic. bumpy night. Yeah, she she has some of the best lines. She's so witty. She's so she's so sarcastic while being proper. It's the kind of movie that I, I think you see this in a movie like The Favorite, right? You see a, yes. a similar thing where mm-hmm. there's just this there's this prim and proper character who is allowed to get away with saying these almost harsh things but of course you as the audience know that they're being super mean and super rude about stuff um the fact that this movie came out in the 50s just just floored me um yeah. and it's, it's perfect from beginning to end hands down i was gripped the entire time in my seat watching it it's it's kind of long but man oh man what a stupendous film and it came out what 70 years ago like holy shit people film is great <laughs> yeah it is mike <laughs> i'm really i'm really glad that you brought up the favorite with in conjunction with this because i I never thought of that. And that's utterly a brilliant connection because this movie is, is the through line to that existing in all honesty. It really is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's a way to look at a complicated woman and the, the role that she plays in the industry that she's in, whether it be as a monarch or in Hollywood or like it, it is, it is a fascinating look at complexity of, of women of that time as a gay man, this is in a top, this is easily in my top five of all time. <laughs> like, I think yeah. this is a spectacular film. It is, it is the sharpness, the shrewdness. It is, I think one of the films that had the most acting nominations of all time. I could believe uh, that. It mm. had, um, you had Betty Davis. Uh, mm-hmm. and you had the two leads nominated. You had uh, George Sanders, who gives one of the best supporting actor. He's a monster. He is a legit monster. Oh my god! Yeah, mm-hmm. a terrible human being. And then you had Celeste Holm, and then you had oh god, what's her name? Who is one of the women who has never won an Oscar? Oh, I can't think of her name. Who plays her her helper? Um, you all know who I'm talking about. Yes, anyway. yes, the, the the helper maid woman. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's so very great. blunt. She, so I love great. her. It's a, so it's an incredible I, film. It is. I'm going to jump in for a second because there's something that you mentioned, Mike, that I, I kept thinking about while doing my research for this. And um, that is that it is so hard to find these classic films anywhere on streaming services. And it really does a disservice to Americans in general. The yes. fact that like yeah. – I mean, listen, All About Eve, as you're as a gay man, this is part of our DNA. It's like downloaded into us when we come out. We get our free toaster and we get yep. the punch card, right? But like, um, so we know it. But like, there are, and the fact that you've never seen Marilyn Monroe in film before, like, say what you will about Marilyn Monroe. She's a really complicated character in American history. But Marilyn Monroe on screen 
really is. Something fucking out. I mean, yeah. Mike's reaction to seeing her was everyone's reaction to seeing her always. Like it still is. You know, yeah. like who yeah. is that? Yeah, she she's magic. There's movie stars and there's actors. And some movie stars are also actors. Marilyn Monroe is a movie star. Liz yep. Taylor is a movie star. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you've never mm-hmm. seen Liz Taylor on screen, you don't get it. It was the same thing with me with Barbara Streisand. Like, until I saw Funny Girl, I didn't get it. And then it's like, holy shit, Audrey Hepburn's the same way. Yeah. yeah. And these classic movies, by and large, are so hard to find. Like, I tried to do a Betty Davis, like, filmography rewatch good fucking luck you can't do it like most of her biggest films are not readily available and it is such a crime that these incredible films like how has someone with all the streaming services out there right now and there's like 900 how has someone not gone and been like okay every oscar winner we need to have it that's our selling point because Mm -hmm. i would pay 20 dollars a month for that um it's just ridiculous to me. All of that being said, I need to go to some votes. So, Mike, are you going with All About Eve or Parasite? I, I'm still going to go with Parasite. I think can, it is can, the, the can best I make an, Can I make my argument before we vote really, really quickly? I, I, yes. I know that a lot of you are potentially voting for Parasite. Parasite is less than months old. Like, sure. it, is, it is a month-old film. It is incredible. It is a very, very well-made film. We do not know its legacy. And legacy may not matter by any means. It may not. I think both are very imp- impeccably made films. All About Eve is in the DNA. It is. It is, it is one of the few older movies that we are talking about. It is one of the only... Honestly, old movies left on the ballot really is. And Mm. we need to consider that because Parasite is very good. We don't know where it stands. And I think part of why we don't know where it stands is because there are no other international features to win Best Picture. And there will be moving forward. There absolutely will be. I predict that it'll happen. But are we moving it forward because of that? It's my question. And it's only a couple of months old. And I think it is good. But I don't personally think at this moment it deserves I, to go further than this round. Personally. I would I would argue that I don't think it's because it's a foreign film. I think it's because there's a story about like I, I Carissa, you said it before. It is such a dissection of of classism um, yeah. that I, I there have been movies about classism. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of movies. I don't think a movie was so impactful like Parasite was so clear in what it was trying to say and how harsh it was about sure. the classist society that the people live in. It happened to take place in Korea, but like we've had dozens of movies like that in America, and I don't think any of them has hit as hard as Parasite did. I'll, I agree. I'll, I'll agree with. I'll agree with that. I will absolutely and- agree with that. And Kevin, that was why I was planning to move forward was because of its commentary on classism. We saw it at an art house theater in our neighborhood and through the movie, by the way, the audience was almost exclusively old white people. And through the movie, there were people who were taking their phone calls on their phones <gasps> during the film. No way. Texting wow. the whole thing. And literally Ryan and I walk out of it and I was like, what do you think that the, the audience writ large realized that that fucking movie was talking about them? Like, yeah. and it completely yeah. went over their heads. But um, that was why I was so glad that it exists because I, how else are you going to get that message out? There are some people who are never going to get it, but the, the rest of us are like, mm, right, yeah, okay, this is fucked up. <coughs> um, 
So that that I agree with that. Your your point is well taken because as soon as I saw it was I think the second or third highest vocator. I was like <laughs> recency bias. The reason that this is as high as it is is right. because it just came right. out. It's in everyone's mind. But as I was doing my own bracket, I was like, oh, but, you know, it really actually is a very good, important film in ways that I think other Oscar winners from the past five years aren't. Well, and the pick, the winner from the year before that got 11 votes. So, right. Well, but my my own, so my only other perspective, and and I obviously am not a woman, but the perspective of All About Eve and like the struggle that women face in their industries to kind of it's a really interesting movie about gender as well, that a lot of, a lot of movies don't tackle gender and be like what it means to age in an industry in the way that mm-hmm. All About mm-hmm. Eve does. All About Eve tackles mm-hmm. aging and how you maintain success as a woman in your choice of industry. And like, we talked a little bit about Hollywood being a, a topic that, or I guess they're play- she's a she's an actress in plays. Same thing, really. But like how, you know, I always think of Diane or um, Goldie Hawn in First Wives Club. There's only two types of women that people get offered: district attorney and babe. Like like that is one of those things where all about Eve is very critical about how women gain success in the industry, but yet also maintain their own success and are able to work hard. I think of the Glenn Close and the wife too, which is a terrible movie, but similar. How do you, how do you become a successful woman in your craft? And, and, and I think it kind of exposes the tricky line between um, like we're told as women, you know, we need to lift up other women. Right. Right. And so like, how do you give opportunities to other people who are just in it to supplant you and take everything from your life? And, you know, like it, it, like it's tricky. This, I hadn't seen this movie. I thought I had, but I was confusing it with the lady Eve, which is a Preston Sturgis movie, which I hated. So (laughs) I was like, Oh no, all about Eve. I hate this movie, but I watched it. And I did not hate it. I quite enjoyed it. And Mm -hmm. it reminded me of the film Being Julia, which is Mm. older, but it's Annette Bening. It's a similar situation, except with Annette Bening as that older um, actress getting her revenge. It's very satisfying. I would highly recommend it, especially if you like All About Eve. Um, So this movie was kind of a revelation to me and I know I talked about parasite, but I'm also not really sure where I'm coming down in this argument because there is the recency thing. And like, we, we can hope that parasite is paving the way for more foreign films, more different stories um, to make it this far, but all about Eve has a lasting power. I think like Mike and I just saw it this week for the first time. And we're both just like, yeah, this movie's great. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't think any of us share that experience about anything else here. Um, And like, this is the story of showgirls. This is like, it's so many other movies. Like use the same template. Why is Showgirls not on this list? That's oh right. my god! Right. Because it was robbed the year it came out. Robbed was amazing. Robbed goddess Nomi Malone. All right, so I do want to put it to a. a this has been an awesome debate. I do want to put it to a vote. I will. I'll go back to one thing that Kevin said really quickly. That if we take out all about Eve now, the lo- oldest film in our top eight is going to be The Godfather, and that's which, what 70, 70, 70 or seventy two. Seventy two. 
I mean, okay. that's still 50 years, folks. It is. It, it is, is. But, but we're looking we're at 100 years. We're, we're ignoring what that's not long enough. I hate to say that because the history of film is like really. It's almost 100 years. It's sure, I mean, but we're years. also talking about Oscars. We're talking about, I mean, there's there's a whole other set of factors I think that go into. But I, I understand where you're coming from. For sure. For sure. So, Kevin, you're sticking with All About Eve. Absolutely. Mike, you're sticking with Parasite. I, I am sticking with Parasite. Yes. Carissa, where are you coming down? I think I'm going to switch my vote to All About Eve just for the longevity versus like the newness. But I think what both of them do for film overall and probably what they both did for like definitely what Parasite did for the award. Um, but what All About Eve, uh, I don't know. I don't know, I guess, how whatever. It's a film about women. We don't get a lot of those. Like right. that's remarkable in and of itself. Uh, so and they all felt really true. Like the women felt real to me. Uh, Agreed. So. Agreed. Okay. I, I will also switch to all about Eve. And I, I know that that's <gasps> going to piss off a lot of people. But we're going to advance that to round three. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. Whole, it's you a guys hard matchup. Ruined my whole fucking bracket tonight. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Look at mine. At this point, I don't think the only one I think I still have in there is Silence of the Lambs, Mike. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on, we have Godfather Part Two versus Moonlight, and I believe at this point everyone is unanimous that Moonlight beats Godfather Part Two. Is anyone objecting to that? No. No, and y'all know how much I love my Godfathers. Exactly. Yeah. So, Kevin, I'm going to hold off on having you do your debate on Moonlight until next round, if that's okay. Sure. Because there's plenty to discuss there. Next, I believe it's another clean sweep where Schindler's List is taking out 12 Years a Slave. Um, I will just really quickly comment on Schindler's List because I saw 12 Years a Slave and then I saw Schindler's List. I'm um, so sorry. Oh, my Woo! Lord. It is for people listening to this podcast. The past like month working on this has been so fucking depressing <laughs> and we're doing it during quarantine 2020 like we suffer for you but that said schindler's list really um there are times when you see these movies that are talked up and talked up and talked up and i was around when schindler's list came out i was 93 i was in high school and i do remember them screening it in my auditorium and i was like yeah i'm gonna be able to do a hard pass on that that sounds really depressing um schindler's list lives up to the hype it's a really well-made film and it was fascinating to watch it even now it killed me killed me to take out 12 years a slave especially in the political client we are climate we are in but i have to give it to schindler's list so i believe that's a unanimous moving forward on that one right yeah i mean and it's it's a better story about the experience of suffering i hate to say it in that way like i i think 12 years a slave is a little and i've heard a lot of black folks talk about this it's a little too torture porny right Mm. Um, Uh, yeah and, and like, it's like, they're kind of, they just want stories about black folks to be told. It doesn't have to like, and like, that is one of the problems with, it's not a bad, I don't think it's a bad movie, but I think that Schindler's List is the better movie about the experience of suffering because it's and Spielberg and it's personal. That's where I came on it, on it too. All right. So finally we have for round two, Titanic versus No Country versus Old Men. I think we're split on this one. Mike, can you talk to me about Titanic? Okay. So I'm pretty sure that like 13-year-old me would beat up 31-year-old me um, <laughs> for defending this movie because I remember this movie came out and my mom had done VHS <laughs> And I watched it. It was, was two like, VHSs. Two VHS, two VHS tapes. <laughs> two VHS tapes. And I was like, oh, there's boobs in it. Um, I had to look away for that scene. But um, 
No, I, I actually, I like Titanic a lot. I think there is, it's really long, but it also is like a, it's a really full story, like from beginning to end. I don't think there's a lot of like wasted screen time by any means. Um, and it's a monumental film for the time that it came out, right? Um, I, I think like Leo's performance is great. Kate uh, Winslet is fantastic. Um, the most evil, vile man in the world is fantastic, whose name I can't remember. Billy Zane. Uh, yeah, Billy Zane. I mean, like, <laughs> like the, the, the eyebrows. Movie, yeah, the, the movie has a lot going for it. I, I think it's a great film. I, I just don't think that I have I care that much about No Country for Old Men. Maybe you guys will change my mind. I'll go and read the book, and then I'll rewatch the film and have a different experience. But I, I really have. I've seen Titanic a couple of times. I've seen No Country for Old Men, I think, twice. Uh, and I definitely, I just prefer Titanic over it. I don't have a lot of strong feelings, but um, I think, like, as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate it more. Plus, I'll never get over that scene where the guy falls off the edge of the boat, hits the thing. I mean, like, oh my God. come on, guys. Mm-hmm. It's stupid funny. It shouldn't be funny, but it somehow it was for me. I got in so much trouble at the theater laughing at that, Mike. I can't even Same. tell you. Yeah, I got in trouble for laughing at it at home. My mom's yeah. sitting over there crying as people are dying. It was like, oh, he hit the, he hit the propeller. We um, were yeah. howling, and we got yelled at by these old ladies behind us. They're probably dead now. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> one can hope (laughs) chris i'm gonna throw it to you for no country for old men um i mean it's hard to argue that no country is the cultural moment that titanic was because it's not um right but it's a coen brothers film and much like uh we have said for other directors like they deserve an oscar the coens like everything they do i just i just love It's Uh, it's it's so good and they know how to make good movies like scorsese knows how to make a good movie the coen brothers know how to make a good movie coppola makes a good movie and like these are the people that i think deserve to be rewarded um and i just like the cameron movies are not the same kind of good movies they're like the spielberg good movies um (laughs) so like this is maybe me being elite i don't know like these are just my biases but um no country uh i i read so i'm a very slow reader um but i read a lot and i read the the novel of this in like three days like really fast just whipped through it because it was just so i just couldn't put it down and i have the same feeling when i watch the film like all of the performances are good and nothing in the film feels rushed nothing moves quickly you know other than like an actual chase scene but so much of it is plotted in this really it's like it's like this really deliberate kind of like a zombie way right like you can't stop what's coming and it's coming at this slow speed but it is going to get it's going to catch up to you and there's just like it's this is such an american film of that moment like definitely like kevin was saying like the bush years and also it's very kind of western and very texas right Mm -hmm. like and it's got some of the like border issues of there's so much here that that isn't really even delved into like who are these people what is this drug deal like we don't know about the sides that are actually at war um you know when james roland just like takes the money um it's just yeah so there's so much about this that i love but i also understand that it didn't have maybe the cultural moment that titanic does but i think uh reputation wise for the cohen's um, it maybe carries more weight, whether that's yeah. a fair assessment, you know, of the film. I don't I don't know. 
Kevin, Chris, I want to, where are you coming down here? So this is a no country for me. I love both, to be honest. Like I love Titanic for what it is. But I think for me is like, Titanic is a movie that's been made before and it won the Oscar. Sim- like there are similar films that have won it. And like it, it is, there are how many movies in this movie about, or in this bracket are about star-crossed lovers at a moment in history, blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't think so, anything yeah. in the final. Nothing in the final eight has has that. Well, nothing. no, but I mean throughout in the, the final eight. eight. But Casablanca, sure. Gone with the Wind, West Side yeah. Story. But yeah, sure. all those sure, movies sure, sure. exist in this bracket. They do. No Country for Old Men to me is a very singular Best Picture winner. In the way that it's it's a western, it's a thriller, it's it's um, very much. I I said this before, it very much captures the Bush era perfectly. Like it is very, oh my God. I don't think any, well, I guess it's the same year as There Will Be Blood. The two of them are Mm. the perfect encapsulations of George W. Bush and what he did to us and why he's still a terrible man. Sorry, Ellen. Um, But (laughs) I think for me, like, my God, Josh Brolin Javier Bardem and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Those three are like masterclass performances in very different ways. If you're going to bring a film to show to an acting class and to allow them to create very different types of performances, those are three people I want to show people. Like they mm-hmm. are, they're perfect. What they about Woody Harrelson? You know, Woody Harrelson, Kelly McDonald. Yeah, um, I love her. Yeah, oh, she's yeah. great. And Kelly McDonald's in the movie for like ten minutes, but you can't yeah. forget her. She's brilliant. She's she brilliant. has the line, "What's in the satchel?" Yeah, like, and that just kicks it all off. Yeah. You know, and he's like full of money. She's like. Psh. Sure it is, you know, and it just like there's just so much there. It's yeah. it's so, a horror, it's a horror film. It's a horror. Mm-hmm. It is a horror film. Mm-hmm. It is a horror film. And I thought that Carissa c- talking about how it's basically a zombie movie is true, except in this case, it's not zombies. It's the inevitability of fucking death. Like, right. like well, it's, it's right. a flip of a coin. It's even coin. worse, right? Yeah. It's a coin toss. Like Heads it, it all comes down, down. right? And it. And then even still, if you follow the coin, like random shit might happen. I don't know. At the end, maybe like not to spoiler this, but, you know, like the end of it is still like it's a further gut punch. You know, it's just. And here's the thing. I will say that I've rewatched movies like like between 30 and 50 movies for 1997, 2000, 2001 and 2002 and 2007. Every one of those years, my favorite film has changed to a different movie, except for 2007. My favorite film is still No Country for Old Men. So I'm going to get in trouble. Um, I I love No Country for Old Men. I had only seen it while doing the research. I thought that was really, really good. Everything you all just said was, was spot on. But if I'm talking about what is a better best picture winner, Again, I'm going back to what is the most ambitious film, what shows the most craft, and then what is saying something about, you know, the human condition. Titanic does not do part three at all. Like, I'm just going to take it off. (laughs) It It says nothing about the human condition, and No Country for Old Men says a lot about it. Mm -hmm. The craft and the acting and the directing of No Country for Old Men is undeniable, but you can't deny the fucking ambition and balls of Titanic. Sure. Um, you you were saying that this this story has been told a million times before, and I guess that is true in the trope of like 
two teenagers who can't be in love because of you know circumstances beyond their control what will they do they'll die um that's right. true <laughs> but in terms of like it's and it's set against this really crazy backdrop of this horrible human tragedy that was real James Cameron fucking invented technology that allowed him to go down to a shipwreck sure that did. nobody had been to. Like, this, is a, this is a tough fucking, battle. That's fucking incredible. And when you look at the, uh, you take into consideration cultural moment of Titanic, you cannot deny it. It cannot be taken out of this discussion. It was an industry into itself. Um, it launched the careers. Well, I mean, DiCaprio was already a thing, but like it really launched him into a completely different level. Kate Winslet was not even really a thing before this movie happened. But to me, like it really is an incredible technical achievement that I don't know if we've had another best picture winner since then that has been on this scale. And one of the things I really did notice about the best picture winners since 2000 on, you know, we make the, the sunset Boulevard joke. It's not me that's gotten smaller it's the pictures the pictures have gotten smaller since 2000 they're not as ambitious as they used to be kevin you're my movie person you can tell me if i'm wrong but i don't see the same scope and the same ambition that i've saw in the 20th I, century well I, i'm so- i think the only exception to that might be return of the king right but like i i definitely agree with you there so my my only con to that and this is, and I'm going to flip this on it because I do like a big best. I do like a big size, like scope of a film. I do like that. My problem is there is always something about all of those films that it just misses the mark for me because they're trying to take on too much. And I think those are films that are products of the studio system. And like, that's where we were. And like, not to counterpoint my points from before, but like, like that, those are things of MGM and like the thirties and the forties and the fifties. And those were things that were holding us back, honestly, as a film industry. I think sometimes for me, I am a smaller, quieter film person. I absolutely am. And I, I will say the counterpoint to that is I still think Titanic is fucking great. I think it's a great, great movie. And I I still land on no country because I think it's unique and revelatory and they're both great. They're both great best picture winners. So are we still tied on this? Mike, are you still Titanic and Chris, are you still no country? I mean, I would, I would be willing to move to Titanic just because I recognize the cultural moment. We talked about this film a bit in the um, 90s heartthrob episode. Yeah. So, um, so that, that argument is also fresh in my mind and, um, so just like the cultural relevance of it and just like, this was a more popular movie. Like, I think no country is a much better movie. Yes. Um, but I think it's made for people like Kevin and me and maybe not for the masses, which, you know, Titanic represented, like, this is the argument that people have so many years, right? Like my favorite movie isn't even in the top five that are nominated. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. there's been this kind of push to make the Oscars more accessible. Like the Titanic is a super accessible Oscar winner that everyone was on board with. And even if you didn't love the film, like you understood it. So I'm fine with moving that forward. Titanic is capital H Hollywood. It's capital H Hollywood. It totally is. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think think it's a fair thing to move on. I I personally think the, I agree with Carissa, the better film is No Country, like hands down, but Titanic is is also a great film. 
I mean, and yeah. I think There Will Be Blood is a better film than No Country. I <laughs> so, absolutely like, agree no, with that. Yeah. There Will Be yeah. Blood is incredible, too. Yes. Yeah. So. No, I want milkshakes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I will drink your milkshake, Eric. That's right. Mm. It's bringing, I, but you can't even bring all the boys to your yard right now because of uh, COVID-19. Like, look at how we well, suffer. Well, only if they stay six feet apart. That's right. And no more than eight oh, of them. But um, with that, we're down to our elite eight. This was a really intense debate. We're going to take the quickest of breaks. We're going to be right back with our elite eight to final four. We hope that you'll stay with us. All right, welcome back. We're down to our Elite Eight of the best, best picture winners ever. I hope you're still with us. We're going to jump into the round three matchups with The Departed versus The Godfather. Mike, where are you coming down here? I am coming down with The the Departed still. I'm still holding strong to that one. Kevin, where are you? I'm going to go Godfather because when it comes to mafia-related films, The Godfather walked so The Departed could run. Okay, and Carissa? I agree with that. I mean, I don't think there's a wrong choice here. So, right. Um, but I, I'm sticking with The Godfather. Okay, this is fucked up because um, I don't like The Godfather, but I'm also going to vote for it here. <laughs> oh my gosh, clutching my fucking pearls over here. You and me both. I'm, I'm clutching my anal beads because <laughs> I don't care for mob movies. They do nothing for me. It is to I don't get why they're popular, but here oh, I, I am. Love them. I, I mean, I do too, obviously. I, I would argue it's a family story and it's a human condition story. And The Godfather specifically is an immigrant story. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if it's not your jam, like, it's not your jam. But that's the thing. And Chris, again, your argument about it being an immigrant story has made you reframe it in a way that I wasn't looking at it before. I was looking at it from a toxic masculinity and mm. male pain perspective. And also mm-hmm. outlaws, which I don't understand why America glorifies certain outlaws and kind of villainizes others but uh, that may have something to do with their skin color i don't know just throwing that out mm. there um but anyway we're going to move it forward to the final four next we have silence of the lambs versus chicago we haven't really talked about silence of the lambs yet um first of all mike where are you voting here uh i'm going with silence of the lambs uh i just i just need that cannibalism in my life <laughs> uh, me too i mean listen i love eating men but mike why don't you talk more about the, the why you like this film So Silence of the Lambs to me is like a it's a perfect thriller. It's a perfect movie that gets under your skin. You may notice a trend here. I kind of like movies that get under my skin a little bit. Um, And I think that, you know, you cannot fight with Anthony Hopkins as as Hannibal. He is so creepy and so perfect. And he will unfortunately, you know, I think that is the role he will forever be known as. But I don't think that he's been typecast in that way. I think he he just delivers a performance that is unparalleled in a situation where normally a creepy person has to do something that makes them extremely gross or they have to do something that that makes them very other and instead he is he is calm and he still makes you feel weird just the way that he speaks to Clarice uh to, to Jodie Foster throughout the whole movie is is so just 
it gets inside your brain and it's all you can think about throughout the whole movie. Um, and I think, you know, Jodie Foster's performance in that movie is fantastic um, from beginning to end. She she is this up and comer. She's fighting against so many different things. Um, and she's the only person that seems to really believe in her herself. Um, and for some reason, Hannibal also believes in her. Um, it, it's a it's a really twisted story about solving a murder case or finding a serial killer. Um, and I, I just think it's it's a perfect movie from beginning to end. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I'm going to throw it to Kevin. Oh, I'm, silence, I'm Silence of the Lambs all the way. Uh, Carissa? Yeah, I I don't have it winning, but I have it going. I, this movie is so great. I, everything that Mike said is totally true. Um, I, I think that all of the kind of Hannibal content is really good, like the sequel and prequel or whatever for for this. And also the show Hannibal, I think, is really good. Mm-hmm. And I think that Anthony Hopkins character is so strong through all of it. And uh, it's a role that, you know, he will forever be remembered by and for good reason. There, yeah. there There's a scene in Silence of the Lambs that I literally will never forget. And and we'll talk about this a lot more because I, I, I adore this movie, I think. And we should talk about the problems eventually, too, because there are problems with it, of course. And those absolutely those center on like trans identity. And mm-hmm. it's a movie that's going to move forward. So let's talk about those later. But there's a scene that I'll never forget. And it's Jodie Foster in an elevator. In, a, in an elevator full of men. And she's mm-hmm. this, I think she's like. I would say Jodie Foster is probably like five foot five, probably five foot six, something like that. And these men are all, and and I'm guessing Jonathan Demme intentionally hired extras that were like, probably like six foot, six foot two guys. And Mm -hmm. I don't think you see their heads if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Yeah, It's just shoulders. Yeah. The shoulders. And she's looking at them. And it's one of those scenes that perfectly encapsulates why I think the movie is utterly brilliant. It just like it is not only a thriller, but it's a movie about a woman making her way in a man's world. And it's, again, Mm -hmm. another best picture winner about a woman that it it just all these movies about women that stand out amongst all these other movies. And she's just she's it's her best role. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I I, like I'm not going to get too deep into this because we have to keep moving forward. But I will say that particular scene and and Mike said Hannibal sees something in Clarice for some reason. And that scene, I think, encapsulates in so many other ones. What he sees in her is her ability to see people for what they actually are, which is exactly what he does, too. She has an awareness about her that supersedes most people. And he sees that. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. Uh, so it sounds like we're going to move Science of the Lambs forward to the final four. Um, Chicago is amazing. It, it is, I think, the best musical that we've had produced, certainly in the modern era. Yes. Um, nothing but love to it. I could go on, and, and we'll do a best musical bracket at some point, I'm sure. But um, unfortunately, it's off for now. Moving on, we have All About Eve versus Moonlight. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Carissa first. Where are you coming down on this one? I'm with Moonlight 100%. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time we talked about it and also the first time that any of us has had a chance to really mention, but um, Oscar's so white mm. and <laughs> this movie is not. Um, this film I rewatched this week. We own this movie, um, but I had only other seen it otherwise one time in the theater. Uh, and it's just, it's incredible. It's so sad. It's so sad and it's so beautiful. And, Barry Jenkins movies are like this. Um, 
we we actually did a double feature of this movie and then if beale street could talk which was his follow-up um, which is also so so beautiful and so so sad and also i just uplifting still or just um th- there's just something about the the unwillingness to give up right and so moonlight gives us or what i'm guessing gives us like a tiny slice of what the what a marginalized black male identity is in America. And it, like, I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be a gay male and to see both of these things together in, in the same society that I'm living in, which I know is very patriarchal and very racist. Um, it's just as like, it, it gives you another window into the world that you are living in that you are not seeing, like talk about disenfranchised voices. Right. And just to see this film told in sections and to see um, the way that Chiron ch- changes as a character and how he has to kind of take on this role of like toxic masculinity, but it kind of also has the same underlying tenderness of like, um, Oh, um, all I can think of is, um, Oh, Jack, I swear, you know, just like (laughs) that being the end of the film, like just like a few words that can just undo all of that. Uh, So Moonlight, like All About Eve has staying power, which we don't know about Moonlight, but Moonlight shifted the conversation in a way that I don't think anything else has. And um, for that alone, it deserves to move forward. But I also think it's an incredibly beautiful film that is very well made and uh, deserves it on the craft level as well. All right, I, Kevin. I will. This is a hard one because two of the, the two of them are. I mean, I almost want to be a little bit. I, I, I may shift to Moonlight. I did pick All About Eve because I do have it in my final two. But um. It's really unfair, right? Like, these are the gayest movies on here. Yeah, they are the gayest (laughs) movies on here. They're the queerest movies. I'm almost going to cry a little bit because when I watched Moonlight the first time I saw it at an early screening, I was living in Boston. And shout out to Independent Film Festival Boston. Please support them. They bring great films to the area. And they showed an early screening of this movie. And when I saw this in the theater, I literally couldn't move from my seat when that when I when the movie ended for probably like ten minutes. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, I, I was just so shell shocked by what Barry Jenkins, as a director, put forward to us. And Terrell McCraney, who uh, co-wrote the script with him, um, is also a fantastic uh, fantastic writer. And it, this movie is, it's so special. It, it, it you know, I'll, there's a line in it. And I, I, I know some people don't like this word, um, but I'm going to say it. So forewarning, um, where young Chiron says to Mahershala Ali, what is a faggot? And I was just like, I don't know. There's something about that whole that whole first part where you get to watch Chirone interact with Marshall Lee, who is one of the best supporting actor winners for that film um, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Janelle Monet, who brings this like beautiful heart and like love to to his story. And like what I what I think that Moonlight eventually does and brings forward is this um, perpetual this story of like what it means to be a black male in the United States, and like how do you perform? How do you exist when you don't fit the norm? 
how do you like live this like gay experience and like that middle sequence of like them on the beach is so beautiful as young adults. And then Mm -hmm. my God, watching um, Andre Holland, like smoke in that diner. I, it is a horny scene. That scene, like (laughs) they don't have to have sex. They don't have to have sex. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the criticisms of the film is they don't have sex. And I'm like, I don't, I watch porn for that. You know, like I don't need to see a movie where people have sex. And I mean, Moonlight is just so well shot. The score is fantastic. Shout out to Nicholas Bertel, who does the score, the acting, everything. It is, I don't know. There's something about it that just like transcends the recency bias for me. It it is just, it's incredible. Yeah. And I think they kind of can't have sex or they don't have sex because it's not, it's not a safe thing to even move toward, right? Like you don't know how it's going to be received or reciprocated. And so Mm -hmm. like they have to hold themselves back. And like that in itself is a huge commentary on what it's like to live that life in America right now. They just hold each other. Yeah. The the sex was not the point. It wasn't about, I need to get off. It was, I have not been touched by another man in 20 years, which is such a like, kind of breaking moment because you yeah, look right. at that character and you're like oh you're getting ass all over the place right, right and right, then right. he just confesses this it's not about sex it's about human intimacy and it's about yeah. trust yeah. and it's about yeah. and he can't reveal himself to be gay because that would undo all of the masculinity and the power that he has mm-hmm. earned mm-hmm. and forced himself to get so that he wouldn't be victimized and, exactly. let, and, it, yeah. and let's talk about that oscar moment really quickly where <laughs> la la land allegedly won because Faye Dunaway is Faye Dunaway. And, (laughs) and like that moment is an iconic moment because I remember reading op-ed pieces from actors where they're like, Moonlight is essential. You have to watch this. That Mm, is a movie that you need to see. And it's the first film with an all black cast to win Mm -hmm. the picture. It, I, I might switch. So I'm ready to vote. Uh, where, Mike, where are you on I this mean, one? You guys, you guys have said a lot of the things that were going through my mind. I mean, as soon as this was, I don't know. I, I was so deeply touched by this movie. I don't know why. Like, I am, I'm a straight white guy, right? I, I have, I don't understand. I don't live that experience. It's, it'll be impossible for me to ever understand the experience of a gay man, of a black man, let alone a closeted gay black man, right? Yeah. Um, but there was something throughout that whole movie that just like I like I'm gonna start crying talking about it. I there was something so beautiful. just beautiful yeah. about the whole movie. Like the end where where they're making food, the guy's making food for him, and there is just this that the reveal, like you guys said, like I have never, I haven't been touched by another man in 20 years, was just so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Like to to think about you, you have to live your whole life shying away from this thing who you truly are and you can't reveal it to anyone except for the one person who knows it about you and treated you badly for it after you revealed it for them not because they didn't like you that way but because they had to also hide who they were um it's so heartbreaking it's so terrible that anyone would have to live that life I, i to see it portrayed so strongly in the film just just floors me i i can't believe that anyone would have to live that life and yet i feel like that is a depiction that is more common than people think i it is by far one of the best films i've ever seen in my entire life yeah um 
I, I just it, it gives me shivers and goosebumps just thinking about just how well that was portrayed and how powerful that story was. Um, I, I absolutely going forward. Like, I'm sorry all about Eve. You are a fantastic film. But yeah. I was not moved in the same way that I was by Moonlight. Hand over fist. Like, it's, mm. it's unbelievable. So it's interesting. Kevin mentioned in his discussion that that scene about the, what is a faggot. And I don't know what it's like for kids who are coming out in the 21st century. It's a different political climate. But I'm going to bet money that Kevin who also came of age in upstate New York yeah. in the 1990s, probably had a moment that was very similar to that, but not spoken out loud, probably more internal. I actually, so uh, this is a side story. And we, I, God, I love this discussion with you all. It's been really great. Um, I remember I was in 11th grade English and this, I'm, I'm going to say his name. His name is Ralph. I remember his name. He was this big, dumb football player. And he said, faggot. And my English teacher stopped class and said, we're not going to say that word in this classroom because that is a fucking terrible word. And you don't say that word if like you don't know if anyone in this classroom is gay. You don't. And if someone is, you just made them feel lesser. And I can't abide by that. He was a like 1960s hippie and I loved him so much. And I'll never forget that moment. And I think in part, that's why I connect with this movie so much because it's, it, it, it is so beautiful and I'm going to watch it later tonight and I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, yeah I, I feel like that's what's going to happen to me. Tonight again. Too. And I, I, I mean, I think the thing about it is Barry Jenkins is, is incredible. He's a director that, you know, that everyone needs to watch all of his films. And he's just, he's great. I cannot say enough. So um, I had told the panelists that I was going to get in trouble in round three because I didn't understand why Moonlight was advancing so far in everyone's brackets. And I will say this. Um, I just saw Moonlight for the first time this past week while doing research. Really like Moonlight. Um, I 100% deserves the Oscar. 100% deserve to be on the bracket, but I was like, but advancing to like the final four guys, like if you like earlier, I had made the argument, like the pictures are getting smaller. And this to me is a very small it is. picture. It is. Very it's quiet. Yeah. But the conversation we've been having has really made me reconsider that standpoint because it like, again, my three things, right. Ambition and craft, the craft, and this is excellent. It's incredibly ambitious to tell a story that nobody was telling. If they mm-hmm. were telling, they was going strictly to LGBT film festivals and not knocking them at all. They're essential to our community. But it wasn't being told in a way that was being appreciated by the mass mass mm-hmm. market, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, my God, it's definitely saying something um, in a really powerful way. So I am actually very comfortable with it moving forward. I will put it forward. I will say um, I was teeing up Kevin for his, like, faggot story. I personally was called faggot for the first time I was six years old. I also remember the kid who did it. I was Matt Moses. We were on the playground. My cousin had given me a hand-me-down baby blue satin baseball jacket, and I thought I was so amazing sashaying around in that, and he called me a faggot, and I didn't know what it meant. I was Mm -hmm. six, but I knew it was bad, and I knew he was right. And it was a moment where I, like, even as a six-year-old, could feel myself collapsing in on myself. That type of a story is not something that gets told a lot for the mass audience to understand it. And Mm -hmm. that one moment can have a critical impact on a kid's life. 
Yep. So yep. for that reason, I'm so sorry, y'all. We went, we went real deep there. <laughs> we um, went, I will, we went real deep. That's okay. You can bill me for my copay. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have Moonlight Advancing. We have one more spot in the final four, and that's between Schindler's List and Titanic. Kevin, I'm going to start with you. Where are you coming down there? Titanic, easily. Hands down. And I'm going to go to Carissa, Schindler's List or Titanic. I'm going to say Schindler's List. All right, Mike, I'm going to go with you. I, I'm going with Titanic. Oh God! So we're going to be split. Um, so I'll say know this. I was the, just... the reason I'm going Titanic is um, I I Schindler's List is a fine film. It is. Um, I think it covers the topic of the Holocaust really beautifully. Like it is like the cinematography. Everything about it is really great. It just I don't know. There's something about it that like is just a touch off for me. Like it's not my favorite film of that year. I know a lot of people are like, Oh my God, it's, it's, it's epic. It's everything. And it is a very well made. And I'll say it this way. It's handsomely made where, as I think Titanic to kind of go back to our last round kind of talk is, is that movie. It is a billion dollar film that won best picture and is epic. You know, Titanic was a movie that people were seeing over and over and over again. And it was beautiful and it's well made. And it's like, it was meant to be a failure. A lot of people were expecting Titanic to be a failure. Totally. And they were almost, they were, they were like literally lapping it up. Like you would see entertainment weekly articles where the way they were written, I remember this being like, oh, this is going to be a failure. And they were like lap, like lapping it up. And it ended up being the exact opposite. And right, it's for, a cultural phenomenon. It's a cultural yeah. phenomenon. Yes, exactly. It's a cultural yeah. pheno- phenomenon. And it's just impeccably made. I know people will hate on the Billy Zane gun thing. I used to be one of those people. But, like, even that is, like, it's very Cameron, and it's very, like, old Hollywood. Like, that would be in a 19... 19- Honestly, Titanic totally. is, like, watching a 1950s movie, yes. but it's impeccably made. Exactly. I mean, it's a 1950s is- movie. Steven Spielberg versus James Cameron. Like, I, you yeah. know, like these are like, these yeah. are the current like American movie giants, you know, these are, mm-hmm. this is what they do. And they're both doing what they do incredibly well, possibly their best in this matchup. So, you know, it's hard. Yeah. I, um, so, you know how uh, hard I campaigned for Titanic last round, but I do want to campaign for Schindler's List here because having just watched it last night, so coming to it about 20 years too late, um, it is handsomely made is a great way to put it, Kevin, but it is also so fucking ambitious. I'm like, how did you film that? I don't understand. It is haunting in a way. Like I, I was expecting actually to be more gruesome than it was. And it's fucking gruesome. People yeah. are getting shot constantly. There's and it's so it's like boom, dead. Okay, whatever, disposable. There's not like they linger on it or anything. It's just human life is gone. The scene where the women's train is go- transported to Auschwitz by mistake and they are getting their hair cut off and put into the showers and they are constantly they are about to be gassed first of all it's set up perfectly with the moment earlier in the film and it is 
fucking terrifying as an Mm -hmm. audience member i know what's coming and i am terrified as an audience member so well acted and crafted and then it's just a shower and it's that moment of joy and you're like holy shit they're actually going to survive i was trans fucking ported in that train with those women at that moment that is powerful filmmaking and like nobody is i i would hope although i'm gonna take that back because we live in america 2020 nobody's (laughs) like there's not people who are unaware of what happened in the holocaust but Mm. this movie makes it so fucking personal the the roads that they walk on into the camp are literally paved with fucking tombstones and it's just uh, at the end of the movie where he has all of the families walking towards you and you get the scope of the human beings that were saved by this guy who is not he's not an angel right and and the the movie is very good about showing you he only really kind of gets on this because he has one moment of like oh fuck like mm-hmm. what am i aiding and abetting here but he ultimately changes and he saves hundreds of people over a thousand who then spawn more than six thousand current family people who are from those families which is double or triple the number of jews that exist in poland today because of Mm -hmm. what happened there is something so powerful about that and that filmmaking is so good i don't know how we put titanic which is a cultural phenomenon and again you know how much I, i think it's amazing but as a film it is more than a film it is a it is a statement and yeah. i think it is important now possibly more important than it was in 1993 because we are losing it we are letting go of the grip of human life and this piece of art actually hammers home how much one person I, can make a difference yeah I, and I, I saw schindler's list one time in high school um and i have uh, a few words for you that red coat sure um like I saw this movie once and that is burned into my memory. Like the moments you see that red coat and when you see that red coat at the end, you know, like the last time you see that red coat and yep. like that is so incredibly powerful and it is seared into my brain. And I just like that alone is worth more than all of the paint me like your French girl, you know, like all of the things that we did get from Titanic, which gave us a lot, but that red coat. I just, I think Spielberg's better film about the Jewish experience is Munich. Personally, I, I think Munich tells mm. the story that he wants to tell better. And I having it's seen, tighter. It's a lot tighter. It's a yeah. lot tighter. And having seen both, I'm like, oh, I, I don't, I, I think for me, Schindler's List is very much a. The reason Spielberg won his first Oscar and the reason this won Best Picture is because it's very much of, and they're, these are both films like this. I hate to say it. They're both very formulaic in the way they tell the stories that they're telling. I'd agree. I don't deny that. Yeah, I don't yeah. deny that so at all. For me, sure. for me, why I land on Titanic is because Cameron created technology to get this done. You even cited that yourself, Eric. And, yeah. and for me, I'm... I, I don't I think the better the better filmmaking is Cameron here. And I rarely say that. I rarely would say that. I would rarely say that. But between the two of them, the better filmmaking for me is Cameron. But I'm happy to move whenever we move forward. Mike, where are you on this now? Man, you guys have sold me on Schindler's list. We gotta go forward. We gotta push it forward. We have to. All right. Okay. And nobody's I wanna say per- nobody's perfect. 
no no i, I mean <laughs> listen like i understand like the cultural phenomenon but eric you make a very very strong point that schindler's list is a more important film in comparison i agree i absolutely can agree with that important really i'm sorry that you had to see it um but i'm really glad that you saw it so recently so that you're able to give us this really kind of fresh take on it because like i I said like i saw it once in high school like 20 plus years ago and like i remember it and i don't want to revisit it yeah Yeah. no no yeah i don't need to watch it again ever um although i i would watch that again before i'd watch 12 years a slave again um so (sighs) i want to apologize both for our listeners and for our panelists, because this episode's going really long. Yep. But I hope that you agree that our debate is worthy of your time. If you need to take a break, go ahead and take one. We're going to push forward. We're now to the final two, thank God. Uh, it's The Godfather versus The Silence of the Lambs in the first matchup. Mike, where are you here? Oh, I'm so bitterly torn, but I'm just going to pick Silence of the Lambs because I think we've debated Godfather to death. Yes. And I think that Silence of the Lambs, for me, is just is the stronger film like overall I, agree. Um, I i think godfather is a is a paramount film like you need to see it but i think that silence of the lambs delivers a more consistent viewing experience and leaves you with a like if like that creepy feeling even in the end and i think godfather is like a beginning and end and there is a transition of power like we've talked about but um i think this this the overall film is better with silence of the lambs kevin silence of the lambs carissa I actually think Silence of the Lambs here because I think that what makes The Godfather so great is the epicness of it in combination with Godfather 2. We don't talk about Godfather 3. Um, <laughs> but, but like as far as telling a concise, tight story, like Silence of the Lambs does that. Godfather gives you more of a, a lengthy family saga. You know, I think they're both successful at what they do. But as far as a film standalone, I think Silence of the Lambs here. Yeah. I agree. Science of the Lamp. So that's unanimous. Moonlight versus Schindler's List. I'm going to throw it to Kevin first. Moonlight. Carissa? Yes. Moonlight. Mike? Moonlight. Okay. I will. I am going to be the uh, exception here, and I'm going to say that I would have put Schindler's List f- forward, but that is fine because you have three votes. So it's, and that means our final two, folks, is Science of the Lamps versus Moonlight. What a crazy fucking matchup. I and love I, it. I love it. <laughs> I, love I mean, it's a one seed versus a two seed, so not yeah. completely unpredictable, but, yeah. but yeah. very um, different. And films. it's an incredible matchup, honestly. Yeah. Those are two impeccable films. Yes. So with that said, Carissa, which one are you going to go with? I'm going with Moonlight for what it does for the Oscars overall, as far as shifting the conversation to a black story um, especially about black male vulnerability told by mm-hmm. a black man, told by black actors who are all incredible. Janelle Monae gets a huge shout out for her role in this. Um, I just think everything about it is perfect and beautiful. And I think this is what we need to elevate at this time. Damn you and your excellent arguments. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what about you? I, I'm going to go with Moonlight for all the same reasons. Um, and I will reiterate, I have never been touched by a film more than I was with moonlight hands down and kevin i'm going silence of the lambs and the reason i'm going silence of the lambs is there's two i do think that moonlight it's it's a great top two it's a great like it's a very hard decision and like the way i was moved by moonlight is very important and what it does for the oscars is incredible um i i'm picking silence of the lambs just because it is the better made film it really is it is 
of the two of them. I think it's impeccable. The cinematography is great. That scene I talked about in the elevator, the scene where she shows up to Buffalo Bill's house um, and you've got that night vision goggle cinematography. Absolutely um, terrifying. One of the scariest things I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. The editing is impeccable. I would say I'm trying to think of a horror film that actually won Best Picture and I can't think of like a legit horror film. Mm-hmm. And this is it. Yeah. This is it. And I think that, I mean, we, we, in our final two, we have a horror film and a film that has an entirely black cast. Like that's incredible um, because Oscars don't typically follow that. But for me, Silence of the Lambs is a movie that has stood the test of time. It's been around for, it was 1991. So it's been around for almost 30 years. People still talk about it. There are still spinoff TV shows. There are still um, other films, etc. And I think we need to recognize that component to it and the power that it gave to all of that. Um, I think that silence is is just incredible we had anthony hopkins who was in the film for like 15 minutes win a lead actor oscar because of the the characterization and performance that he provided silence of the lambs is also one of the few films to win picture director actress actor and screenplay that's Mm -hmm. that's not a, a per se a solid argument in oscar history but that's how revelatory it was. And in that Oscar year, it came out in February. Y'all know Oscar movies typically come out November, October, yeah. December. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they remembered that movie that made a lot of money from February and it made an impact. And it is it is that movie. It is that person. And I, I do want to bring this up because I said that I would and I, I haven't and like I want to talk about the problems of it because there are, and I think it's important if we don't name them, I think we're maybe a little irresponsible, but the movie, the the documentary disclosure talks about the trans problems with that movie. Buffalo Bill is not a good representation of, of trans identity. He represents that like common portrayal of what the criminal stereotype that trans folks get kind of sometimes lumped into. And that's not great. It's not, it's not good. There are a couple lines of dialogue that do help that. But when you watch disclosure, which is a documentary about trans representation in film, you see them say, but it's still my favorite movie of all time because I was seen and represented and it is one of the best movies ever made. Hmm. Um, Not that that is a win, a win or a right thing, but Silence of the Lambs is, oh my God, it is, it's impeccable. It's impeccable. I am really torn here. I got to be honest with you, because I think the argument that Moonlight is a better representation of what we want the Oscars to be and where we hope they will be going forward is so dead on. But I also agree that Silence of the Lambs is a better made film. I agree. And Kevin brought up a really salient point. Like, I actually don't think that you dismiss the fact that it won picture, director, actor, actress, screenplay. Those things all ultimately kind of move into the best picture win. Um, It was also the one that got the most votes out of anything in the poll by the public. So 
I find myself really torn emotionally I am connected more to Moonlight obviously Same. and I think we've done a great job explaining why it's such a beautiful film but if we're talking about the best best picture winner I find myself leaning more towards Silence of the Lambs even though it is a thriller and a horror mm-hmm. movie like it's not the type of film that I normally would associate with the best picture winner right but it's so well done and it is fucking terrifying and it's not just about one person or two people two crazy people to me it's about the psychology of human beings and how we crack and one of the things i like about hannibal which is kind of irrelevant on this discussion but i'm going to mention it anyway is again it's this idea that hannibal lecter sees something in clarice starling that makes her different from everybody else she sees people that to me really resonated in a really powerful way with me watching all those movies that Clarice has an awareness of human beings that is different from the average Joe who's eating at the fast food place. That's a terrible generalization. Please forgive me for it. But I don't think you can dismiss it as strictly a thriller or a horror movie. It is more than that. It is a a movie about the human psyche and how fragile it is and um, how easy it is for people to become twisted. Um, I think think you hit it exactly. And I think that's what both of these films come down to because what – what it is about Clarice is that she sees the humanity in everyone, even in these people who do terrible, terrible things. And she doesn't Mm -hmm. discount that, you know, but she's, she finds that thread of humanity in everyone. And Moonlight is showing us the humanity of people, you know, like this strong, like in the final, um, you know, third of Moonlight, that is a big guy that is a big black man with a gold grill in his mouth driving a loud car and like that is the kind of persona that we are told as americans that we need to be afraid of and this film is showing us the exact that this person is the exact opposite of that like he is not a threat uh he is a vulnerable human being and so i think that there's a, a threat of humanity through both of these films that is like the one common thing i don't even think that the person that is portrayed in the movie is like that they that they are vulnerable that they don't need to be perceived as a threat so much as right, right. that they right. that they are just a human being who who deserves love yeah and cannot there's... find that 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 love and that is the that is the whole like message that i get is just that everyone deserves love and they shouldn't be ashamed for wanting that love if it comes from a man from a woman from a non-binary individual like they shouldn't be ashamed of that and that is like the problem that the character faces throughout the whole movie is that they are ashamed of wanting love yeah um and wanting a specific like type of love from someone that they are they have been told they cannot get um so i'm just reiterating your point but yeah i i I totally agree with you there there's a humanity piece that is crucial and it's there in both of the films i totally agree with that the the one the one thing i'm gonna say is like let like Moonlight is a great film. And obviously, like, I'm a queer individual. I'm not a queer man of color, but I am a queer individual. And, like, it, its legacy is lasting. And the way they display empathy is fantastic. It is... It, it No film does that, honestly. With that said, the legacy of Silence of the Lambs is... It's it's impeachable, regardless of what came out of it. Like Red Dragon's terrible, Hannibal's terrible. The TV show Hannibal is incredible, though. Like you have all of these pieces of why the story is so transcendent. And to be honest with you, regardless of what I think of Hannibal and Red Dragon, they both made a, a shit ton of money. 
with that said, I think Silence of the Lambs is it's a 30 year old film that people still talk about today. It's a horror film that won Best Picture. It's it's unimpeachable in, in many ways. Mike, are you still on Moonlight? Yes. Chris, you're still on Moonlight. I could be swayed either way. Like, I, I really, yeah, I could be. I right. think, we got to pepper her up. I think, I think Silence of the Lambs is, is official. I think it's the winner. I really do. Uh, Chris, are you willing to switch? I would be, yes. All right. So, Mike, are you going to be butthurt if we do that? I mean, I... <laughs> I, I don't I don't like that phrase, but I uh, am I'm not going to be upset if you guys go forward. I mean, it's three to one. That'd be three to one if you are voting for Silence of the Lambs too, Eric. It's the longevity factor versus sure. the recency, because I don't think Moonlight is going to be the best thing we're going to get from Barry Jenkins. Correct. And I would I, agree. I agree Great with that. Point I agree with that. Yep. I apologize for using the term butter. I was not trying to be dismissive at all. I was just I, like, I appreciate your viewpoint here and I didn't want it to be dismissive. And I, instead I wasn't. No, 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 no. I just, it's, it's okay. All right. So I believe we have a winner three to one silence of lamps. That was hard. I think that was the hardest debate we've done. Absolutely. So yes. I, I want to thank you to our panel for doing an incredible job with this discussion. I want to thank you to our <laughs> leaders or, or to our listeners for sticking with us for a really long debate. Um, uh, uh, do you think that we were right in our decision? Do you want to give us a standing ovation or cut off our acceptance speech? Make sure to post your thoughts on this episode at greatpopculturedebate.com or holler at us on social media. Um, again, thank you all for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this episode, please head to our website, check out the other episodes we've done. Go and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you like us, please rate and, and write a review. Um, again, thank you to everyone. Now let's all change into another obnoxiously overpriced outfit and head to Elton John's after party. We are out of here. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs>